You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. A few weeks ago, the last time I was with you, I shared a message, and it was called Distracted by Jesus. And I had talked about how the things that have happened in the summer, the growth that we've had in the summer, the growth that we've had as a church, but also the growth that you've had personally. Uh, in, in men's ministry, some things have been wild and, and some things are happening. In our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry, different pockets of Rooney Life Church, we've experienced a, a lot of growth. There's things that are happening in people's lives that have never, ever happened before. And what I was sharing was, is that we can't afford to think that the wave of success and the wave of growth from the summer is is, is what we should ride into the fall and expect that same thing to carry us into the fall. It should be this launching pad of knowing that God is with us and if God is with us, then who could be against us? It should be this launching pad where we expect in the fall God to continue to do more. And the way that we do that is we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah. That's what we talked about the last time I was with you because what, what we choose to focus our attention on is the thing that will be produced in our life. We've all been victims of that in some way, shape, or form. We talked about the, the, the fact that everybody in the room has been a victim of following fashion trends, and some have been terrible, right? So, and the reason that, that happens is we see somebody that does something, and we're like, I'm gonna copy that, and then we produce the thing that we copied. And so if we will look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we'll produce some things in our life that look to be impossible to the, to the human eye. And so this is what we talked about. We talked about being distracted by Jesus. Uh, in recent days, I was on an airplane flying home from a trip. Uh, we, our staff actually took a trip together and it was really refreshing. It was good. We're coming back strong. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a really, really good time of us just sewing into each other. But as I was on the airplane, I started thinking about, uh, Lord, what about, what about the feeling in some people and they feel like they wasted the season. We've all been in this situation where we feel like there were people around us, they were flourishing, they were growing. Uh, we had access to maybe the, some of the same things they did. They took advantage, we didn't. We've all been in those spots of feeling empty. And I just began to ask the Lord, like, what, what, what would I say to those kinds of people? Because I, I don't wanna assume that this summer has been uh, fine and dandy for everyone. I don't wanna assume that we've all uh, come out of summer walking into fall uh, smelling so fresh and so clean. I understand that there are things that happen in our life and what do we do when we feel like we've fallen, we feel like we maybe didn't rest like we were supposed to, or maybe we didn't seek like the Lord told us to, and, and there's this feeling maybe of defeat or this feeling of failure. What, what is it, Lord, that I would say to them? And he said something so simple, and it reminded me of a message that I spoke to our students in 2019, and he said, just tell them to go back. Just tell them to go back to the basics. And so the message today is titled, Go Back. Very, very simple, just go back. So I'm gonna pray for a moment and then we're gonna dive into some of what the Lord has for us. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for today. Thank you for the celebration moments and the service this far. And I thank you most of all that you're with us. I thank you that you're here. You are not a God that can lie and where two or more are gathered in your name, so are you there in their midst. And so I thank you that you're here and you're living, and you're alive, and you're breathing. And I pray that as we 
talk and we go through scripture and as we talk and we share stories of, of, of the disciples and the things that we have seen that's laid before us that you would make things come alive to us today. We bless you. Thank you that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a mind to think on things that are above and not things that are beneath. And we just thank you so much that you love us and you care for us dearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to read uh, something to you that I found is very, very interesting. There was a study done in 2017. And it said, uh, on average, the average person listens to four and a half hours of music every single day. Now, I know that's the average person, but for the fun of it, let's just, let's just lump ourselves into the average. Life expectancy in the U.S. is the, the age of 79 years. So at 79 years is the life expectancy. That would mean that the average person in their lifetime listens to 15 years worth of music. That's a lot of music. And let's just say the average person has a list of their 20 favorite artists that they listen to all of the time. That would mean that you will spend 75% of each year of your life listening to just one of those 20 artists. This is crazy. If we spend over our entire lifetime, 15 years listening to music, we know a lot of songs. Like if I threw out the, the, the title Neon Moon, we would all sing it in unison, <laughs> right? And that happens not just in Texas, it happens everywhere. Or if I threw out the title Friends in Low Places, we would sing that and the tag that was added to it. <laughs> and y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we know all of these songs, but my question is, if you know every lyric of every song, of every album by your favorite artist, do you actually know them personally? No. No. Thank you, Joy. <laughs> See, being a fan doesn't make you a personal friend. And you have to understand this, knowledge never results in personal relationship. Well, I know God, I know God because I know about God. I know the songs so I know the person. No, you don't. And so we've gotta allow the Lord to actually be the one that breathes on the things that we know about him and make those things come alive and we walk into personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It's not enough to know things. We have to know the person that created the things that gives life to the things. Hallelujah. In Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, he wrote this. He said, while speaking in a series of meetings several years ago, I was approached by a man during a break. He appeared visibly shaken by what I had said and told me that he was a professor at his denomination's Bible college. He explained that for years he had taught his students to treat the Bible like a classic piece of literature, a book to read and to enjoy its beauty, but not something that, through which the Almighty God would speak directly to the reader. Through tears, he confessed that he had done this because he had not personally experienced God communicating with him. But during that conference, the Spirit of God spoke clearly to the man and reminded him that Christianity is fundamentally an interactive relationship between God and people. When this man was younger, he'd experienced God's guidance in his life. As he grew older, however, his estranged relationship, estranged relationship with God seemed normal for him. Now he assumed it should be the normative for the students that he taught. Here was a man who had studied the Bible his whole life. Yet for him, scripture had become merely a collection of ancient writings 
that had little, that had little direct application to his life. Now that this man's heart had been awakened to the living God of those scriptures, he realized that he had been poisoning the minds of a generation of young people by teaching that God does not speak to his people. This man had an experienced revival, and he was eager to re-enter the classroom to tell students that God is real and that God wants to encounter every single person in a personal way. Sadly, we experience this scenario regularly. There are far too many people who settle for practicing a sterile religion rather than enjoying a growing, vibrant, personal relationship with a living God. So, so crazy. Disciples don't just know scripture. They also also personally know the one that gave the scriptures life. There is a difference in being a Christian and knowing and a disciple who is following. Amen? Jesus endured so many things, and he, and he did those to invite you into a personal relationship with him. He invited you yesterday, he's inviting you today, and he'll invite you forever. It is an invitation that is always extended to us. In Luke chapter five of the Bible, we see Jesus uh, introducing himself and making himself known to a man, to a group of men who become his disciples. But in this, in this set of scriptures, Jesus is walking along the shore. As he's walking along the shore, he sees uh, these, these men that are cleaning their nets because they had been fishing. They'd been fishing all night long, hadn't caught a single thing, and they're, they're cleaning their nets out. They're getting, getting things put together, getting things put, put away. And Jesus gets in one of their boats. I want you to picture this. He gets in one of their boats and then tells them, hey, will you push me out into the water? That's like saying, hey, I see that you have keys to a car in your pocket. Will you give them to me so that I can drive away? Peter pushes Jesus out in the water. Jesus preaches this message to the people that are on the shoreline. After Jesus is finished, he comes back in from being in the water. He tells Peter and the rest of the guys that are with him, hey, go back in your boat, launch out into the deep waters, and then let your nets down. Peter probably is thinking like I would be thinking, like, hey, you might be really good with words, and you might have demanded me to push you out into my boat, and I didn't really know what was happening, but I did anyways, and it was too late for me to pull you back in, but you're not gonna tell me how to fish. Like, I've been fishing all night long, and you can see that I've been cleaning my nets, and I wasn't cleaning fish out of my nets. It was seaweed, and it was moss, and I'm frustrated. No, I'm not putting my nets back in the water. But Peter, in verse five, he says, Master, we have toiled on that long, caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down my net. We know this story. They end up catching so many fish that their nets begin to break. They start, uh, minds blown. They start scrambling, trying to get all of these fish into the boat. The boat, actually at one point says the boat starts sinking. Like things got serious really fast. This moment is when Jesus tells them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In this moment, Peter becomes a disciple of Jesus. He walks into a personal relationship with Jesus. He might have known him as the teacher, now he knows him personally as someone that he was going to follow as the Messiah. Peter, like us, he's lived a really interesting life. And by interesting, I mean uh, reckless, like us. Peter always had this tendency to speak up when he wasn't supposed to speak up. You know, like the moment on Mount Transfiguration and all these crazy things are happening and Jesus is transfiguring in the moment and Peter's like, hey, Jesus, it's really good that we're here. Like, Peter, you didn't have to say anything, just enjoy the moment, sir. 
Like this, it is good that you're here. Just keep that to yourself. Like Peter had all of these moments where he, he did things that didn't make any sense. Peter was this disciple that, uh, that denies Jesus three times. We know these stories. I'm just reminding you, uh, before before Jesus is crucified, he says, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's like, not, not, not me, right? He's the one that tries to stop Jesus from even going through with the whole process. Jesus like, get behind me, Satan. Like, Peter's been in some spots. Like Peter's been in this moment where he draws his sword, cuts the guy's ear off that's trying to capture Jesus. Jesus is constantly trying to keep, clean up Peter's mess, like putting ears back on. Like if you've got a friend and you have to clean their mess by putting ears back on, you probably should get some new friends. But these are the people that Jesus rolled with, right? Jesus gets crucified. The disciples, they go into this tailspin. The miracle working man, the son of God, this, this person that did all these things, he's dead on the cross. I would imagine they're asking themselves why. Like, why, why didn't Jesus just save himself? Like, we've seen him resurrect the dead. We've seen him do all of these things, turn water into wine, feed 5,000 people with, with a very, very little amount of food. Why didn't he just get himself down and save himself. Jesus then put him in the tomb. After three days, we know what happened. He's gone, he's risen from the dead. Peter runs to the tomb, only to find the tomb empty. Every single moment after Jesus' death and after Jesus' uh, crucifixion, I would imagine send Peter further and further and further into this place of feeling I'm like, my life is over. Like hopelessness would set in for most of us. There's no more goosebumps when I hear Jesus speak audibly. There's no more joy when Jesus just walks into the room. There's no more peace that comes from looking right into the eyes of Jesus. Everything that Peter gave his life for seemed to be gone. Some of us, we understand this feeling. These moments with God like, they're nothing like we've ever experienced. He set us free from an addiction. He helped a family member out that was sick. He put us on this high of highs and then all of a sudden something in life happens and it feels like the rug was just jerked out from underneath us. And it's like everything I experienced was unreal. Everything that I experienced was temporary and it, was, it wasn't true. We have these moments at home, we have these moments of church where God just does something radical in our lives and then all of a sudden it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found. Am I the only one? Okay, perfect, I didn't think so. Sometimes life just hits you hard and it makes you doubt everything that has been good. Makes you doubt your experiences, makes you doubt the scripture, makes you doubt people, makes you doubt God. It's like God, I felt you and I heard you, but what about right now? What about here in the now when things aren't as rosy and peachy as they were when I was at church? There's been moments where we walked out of those doors and it was like everything hit the fan and you know what I'm talking about. It was like there was a, there was a message in our phone that was waiting to be read and as soon as we got off the church grounds, we read it and everything that happened inside the building seemed like it got sucked out of us like a vacuum. What happens right then in those moments? What do I do right now? Peter had denied Jesus. He's scared, he's like heartbroken and lost. And then Peter makes this really crazy, amazing, deep and profound declaration. He says this in John chapter one, verse three. The disciples are all gathered and they're in this place of hopelessness and Peter finally just like, he just speaks up. It's like a true Texan. Peter was probably a Texan. 
he says, hey guys, you know what? I don't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. I'm just gonna go fishing. Literally, he, he, he hangs that sign on his door that says, gone fishing. That's Peter. What Peter did in this moment is he did what he knew how to do best. He went back to the basics. You can read in John chapter 21, verses four through 19. I'm not gonna read it for the sake of time. But it's, it talks about how after this moment, Peter goes fishing and, and the others join him. As they're fishing, they're doing their best to catch fish. They're not catching anything. Jesus appears on the shoreline. This is after he's been resurrected from the dead. And as he appears on the shoreline, he, he's cooking breakfast and he yells out to him, hey guys, hey guys, you got any food in the boat? They hadn't caught anything, he knew that. I'm like, that ain't even right, Jesus. <laughs> you, knew they, you knew they'd been working all night and didn't catch anything, why would you do that to them? That's probably just Jesus just laughing. No, I hadn't caught anything. He's like, so what you should do is you should put your nets out on the right side of the boat, not the left side. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, okay, wait. The boat's only so wide. The water is the same here as it is over here. How is it that these fish aren't swimming under my boat to the left side of the boat? Like, I'm, I'm rationalizing all these things. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. They drop their nets on the right side of the boat and they have this giant catch once again. What's interesting to me is that both times Peter encountered Jesus significantly, he was doing the thing that he knew how to do best. He was doing the basic things that he had been taught. And in your life, and in these moments where you feel like maybe you failed or maybe you feel like you took some steps back in terms of your freedom or you took some, some steps back in terms of your, your growth in your life, what you need to just do is just go back. Not go back to your old habits or your old sin or your old uh, crutches. Go back to the last time that you felt hurt or even thought about Jesus. Because like Peter, you'll find him there. The scriptures, and God hasn't created this thing to be so difficult that we have to go on this uh, incredible scavenger hunt to figure out the simple thing that he's trying to tell us. I'm telling you right now, it's okay for you to revisit the first things that you used to do in your relationship with God if you feel like you haven't heard him in a while. My advice is if you hadn't heard the voice of God in a while, go back to the last thing that he said for you to do and just start doing that again. It's really simple. He's there. He was there on the shore when they came in and hadn't caught anything. And he was there on the shore when they're out in the middle of the lake and they hadn't caught anything. He is still right here and he is still right there. He's wherever you need him to be. And I'm encouraging you this morning, if you're feeling like you've lost some momentum, if you feel like you've squandered some opportunity, just go back. Just go back to the basic things that you were doing and do them by faith. We also understand that this is not an instant relationship with the Lord, meaning we're so used to instant gratification. You put the bag of popcorn in the microwave, you push the number, and the popcorn pops. It's instant gratification. Unless you put it in too long, and then it's terrible because your house smells like burnt popcorn for five weeks. We're so used to instant gratification that we just think that 
if I just do this one thing, then it's rapidly going to happen for me. No, by faith, we have to do some things. By faith. We have to re-engage our faith. We have to live by faith. And my question for you today in all of these things is, are you living by faith? Are you praying by faith? Are you asking by faith? Well, I don't see the result of it yet. I know. That's what faith is. It means you keep doing it even when you don't see the result yet. You keep living and acting and breathing in faith. Faith is this. Faith is the fuel that drives the life of every single believer. It is the fuel. And if you aren't living by faith in any area of your life, you're probably at a standstill. So I want you to just take a quick inventory of your life in every single area that you feel like you're at a standstill. And then I would ask you, in that area, are you living by faith? And if you're not, don't get beat up about it. Don't fall into shame, don't fall into guilt, don't fall into condemnation. Just go back and start redoing the basic things, the basic steps, and do them in faith, knowing that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I know I'm making something really simple, but it, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it. Living by faith means that you're living beyond yourself. I know the areas that I am comfortable in because I, 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 hit, a, I hit a ceiling and that ceiling feels good. Everything's fine. The water's really calm. The wind's not blowing, which is rare. And I'll find myself living in this place of consistency, comfort, but no faith. And all of a sudden, I'm living in this place where I'm frustrated. God's not moving in this area. And it's my cue to do something that requires faith. It's my cue to stir myself up and go beyond what my current situation is calling for and put myself out there in a brand new way. Faith engaged is an invitation that God will never decline. The moment that you engage your faith, you're inviting, you're sending an invitation to God and he will always accept your invitation. Always. Let me wrap this up. Matthew chapter seven, this is seven through eight, it says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Notice that S on the end of asks. It's not a one-time thing. This is where faith is involved. Well, I asked with an ED on it. That was a one-time thing. He didn't do it for me. So he must not be that good of a God. Or so-and-so asked, he didn't do it for them, so he must not never judge God based on someone else's circumstances, first of all. You don't know their heart, you don't know their story, you don't know all the things. Everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If it seems like things have grown dormant, if it seems like he has gone silent, engage your faith and go do the basic things again. Put the training wheels back on the bike if you've lost your balance. It's totally fine. 
Why? Because eventually you'll catch stride, you'll catch balance, and you'll be riding again. Well, so-and-so's leaving me behind. Don't worry about so-and-so. Stay in your lane. One thing I've learned about staying in your lane is this. There might be people that are going faster in their lanes than you are. It may look like they're gaining speed and they're gaining momentum and they're walking in this blessing and they're walking in this favor and you're stuck in your lane. There are moments, the Lord's never probably gonna get you out of your lane, but there are moments where the speed limit goes up and you start walking and start driving in your lane a lot faster and things start happening in your life sooner if you'll just stay consistent to hearing the Lord and what he's asking you to do, not what someone else is doing. The Lord really does wanna bless you. And I promise you this, God is not trying to be the most epic contestant to ever play the game of hide and go seek. He is not. He wants to be found. He's given you eyes to ear, eyes to see, ears to hear, so that you would know him and that he could know you. So if you're feeling like you're lagging behind, just go back. Just go back. Just go back to the basics. You'll find him just like Peter found him. One thing I love about what happened on that shore is Jesus took the opportunity to ask Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Why? So that he could restore Peter three times over for every single time that he denied him. Peter also becomes this man who in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes, receives the power of the Holy Spirit, leaves that meeting, gets questioned, are those people in there drunk? He's like, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. This isn't Texas. Like, they're not drunk, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches this message with the, under the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get added to the church. This was the same man that at one point said, I don't even know that man, Jesus. This is the same Peter that at one moment, his shadow is cast by someone that was sick and they got healed. If he could do it for Peter, what might he do for you? We just saw in a testimony that what he'll do for one, he'll do for another. Am I right? Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.